Welcome back, everybody, to Pocket Theology. This is Pastor Jason Frederick, and I am here with my good friend, Pastor Martin Hinton. Martin, say hi to the people. What up, fam? Nice. Varying our greetings every time. That's going to be our only gimmick on this show, is we're just going to find new ways to say hi every week. Actually, that's a lot of pressure. We probably are not going to do that. Anyways, we're happy that you guys are back with us. And today we're going to be talking about really one of our favorite subjects, and that is languages that are not English, specifically Koine Greek and ancient biblical Hebrew. So these are the two primary languages that the Bible is written in. Most of the Old Testament is written in this biblical Hebrew. Small parts of it are written in Aramaic. We're not going to talk about that today. And the New Testament, almost the entirety of the New Testament, besides a few spot words here and there, is written in Koine or common Greek. So we're going to be talking about two words from each of us that we think Christians should be familiar with, if not the words themselves, at least the concepts behind them that the Bible likes to use that's pretty important. It'll help your Bible study if you have these filed away in your noggin somewhere. So Martin is our ancient Hebrew nerd. He's going to kick us off with his first Hebrew word that all Christians should be familiar with. What is it, Martin? Why should we care about it? Where does it show up at all that good stuff? The first word that I want to talk about is shuv, uh, which is just, you know, Kind of fun to say. It sounds like shove, but with the U instead of two O's. I thought it sounded uh, like shoe, personally. But, you know. Shove. No. Mm. Uh, but it literally translates to repent or turn. And so uh, Eugene Lowry, in his book, The Homiletical Plot, talks about how to preach narrative. And he goes through this huge like spiel about how it's so much easier to preach narrative in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. And he gives like four different reasons but one of those reasons is because ancient Hebrew is built to like not operate like we would think it would. And so each word can be defined with other words, but it's much better defined by an image or uh, an idea, basically. And so uh, shuv, while literally or you know verbally we might translate it to repent or turn, it has this image associated with it. So basically, it's like you're on a path. And in the Hebrew mind, they saw life as a path. And so they would often talk about living on the righteous path or walking on the unrighteous path. And basically, your entire life is one path. And this idea behind shuv uh, is that in its literal definition, it's to turn around, right? It's You turn around and you walk the other way. But metaphorically, it's kind of the same thing, but it has some nuance to it. If you are walking towards somewhere, you're walking towards the world, really. The idea is that each of us in our nature, we tend to lean towards that. We tend to go towards the world, right? And so we're on this path towards the world. And eventually what happens is we, we recognize it. And so we turn and we repent, we turn towards God and we can, we pursue him. Uh, but it's really interesting the way that you can kind of get into this. So uh, when you see life this way, first of all, there's, there's a sign that usually tells you you're going the wrong way, right? Uh, that, that sign basically is, um, oh, I wrote down a word and I can't remember what it was, conviction. Uh, it's, 
the feeling that you're wrong, right? And you act out of that conviction because conviction isn't enough. Jason and I will both tell you just feeling bad about sin is not enough. You have to act on that. And so you turn from the world, you turn from sin, and you approach holiness or God, right? And so you continue going that direction. And I always think this is really interesting because a lot of times when we talk about repentance, it doesn't it doesn't look like this. Uh, one of my, not really my favorite things, but it's one of my favorite things to combat, basically, uh, is this idea that repentance means not doing something. You know, someone just becomes a Christian and they go, you know, I'm a Christian now. Uh, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't have sex with my girlfriend. I'm a Christian. That's not repentance, though. Repentance isn't not doing something. Repentance is not is uh, doing something. It's about what you are doing. You're you're turning towards God. You're approaching Him. You're trying to be more like Him. And while that may include a bit of you know behavioral modification, not doing these things, the more important important part is that you are following God because you can stop drinking, smoking, you can stop having sex with your girlfriend all without having Jesus in your life. But repentance requires that you're moving towards him. And so one of the uh, passages that I think really gives a good idea of this is in Jeremiah 3. In verse 1, it says, if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me? Return is where Shuv is. And it declares the Lord. Would you go and you do all of these terrible things and now you return to me is the idea. Because Jeremiah is talking to the Israelites in exile. They've And like Jason and I mentioned uh, when we were talking about Job, the Israelites deserved the exile. There's there's not a lot of argument on that. Would you go and you worship these false gods and then you return to me is this idea that God is giving. Now you want to repent. Uh, now that things are bad, you want to come back to me. It's that's kind of the idea that he's that he's trying to get across. And really it's this idea that you've gone down this other path and now you want to come back, right? So I'm actually going to call a little bit of an audible here because uh, we don't look at each other's notes before we start recording these episodes. So my second word that I was going to address today was the Greek word for repent, metanoeo. Um, and I think it's a good place to tag it on here. And then we'll just keep running with our other two words. And the meaning is going to be very similar. So here's a great like Bible study tool that you won't always need ability with the Greek and Hebrew to use, which is if there's a term or idea that's used in the New Testament a lot, it's going to draw on the Old Testament ideas about it. So the Greek word for that is used and often translated repent in the New Testament, metanoeo, literally just means to change your mind. It's all it means, to change one's mind. 
Um, but in Christian usage, it's not about, remember, Christians are going to use in their writings the, the same words with a little bit different flavor because they're talking about Christian living. They're talking about following Jesus. And, and so they're going to kind of redefine a few words. A really famous example is one of the Greek words for love because there's four words for it. Three of them are used in, uh, in the New Testament, two of them used really frequently. But the one that's like most famous is agapao. And agapao didn't have like any particularly special meaning in secular writing until Christians got a hold of it. And they started using this word in a very particular way to refer to a kind of love that is an intellectual decision to serve the best interest of another person. Not always to do what they want you to do, but to serve their best interest, whether they realize you're doing so or not. Uh, and so Christians are going to do the same sort of thing with the word menonoeo. And it's not just going to be about changing your mind anymore. But it's going to steal that Hebrew idea of like you are walking down a path and this path is leading you away from God. And menoeo, repentance or shuv, is going to be to turn around and take the path that's going to take you back towards God. And this is going to be a change of behavior. It's going to be a change of attitude. It's going to sometimes be a change of company. It's going to be a change of the things that you allow into your life, whether that's the media that you consume or the foods and beverages that you consume or simply the amounts that you consume or uh, the things that you speak, especially are a really big emphasis in New Testament writing that like when you start following Jesus, the way you talk changes and not just like don't curse because there is literally not a verse in the New Testament that says, don't curse, but there's tons about don't slander other people and don't gossip and be very careful that the words that you say are upbuilding and they don't tear down the community around you. And these are all examples of repentance, of me of metanoeo, of, of shuv. And some of these things aren't just don't stop doing that, but it's start doing something else. Like another example of repentance when you come to follow Jesus is an increase in generosity. So it's not something that you stop doing. But it's something you start doing because now you love Jesus. So this idea of repentance is going to be almost identical, actually pretty much entirely identical to the Old Testament idea of repentance. That you change your behavior, you change your thoughts, you change your speech, you change whatever you need to change to get on that path that's going to walk you right back to God. And this is an ongoing process. So it's not just something, it's not like you come to Jesus, you repent, and then you're done. It is a continual action throughout the Christian life where you are always finding new ways to repent. You're always finding ways to draw closer to God. You're always finding ways to learn more about your Lord and Savior and to behave accordingly. So if I could read two quick examples of situations where this word is used, maybe I'll help illustrate it just a little bit. John uses it, John the Baptist uses it in Matthew chapter 3. He's preparing the way for Jesus's ministry to begin. And he says, in those days, rather Matthew says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John's only emphasis in his ministry was to tell people, you need to change. You need to get off the path that's leading you away from the Lord and get back onto the straight path leading you to the Lord. You need to change your behaviors, thoughts, actions, speech, whatever. You need to change. 
you need to metanoeo, you need to shove. And then in Acts uh, 17.30, the Apostle Paul uses this word. And there's obviously tons of times this word that's used throughout the New Testament. It's just two examples. And in this situation, John was speaking to people who claimed to follow God but were not, right? So they, they claimed to be followers of Yahweh, but they weren't obeying him in the way that they should have been. So he's saying you need to repent. Well, Paul's going to be speaking to people who are not Christians, who are pagans, Greek pagans. And he's standing amongst all these people who are out here debating ideas and philosophy and religion and whatever. And as he's speaking to them, he says, talking about their religious practices, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to metanoeo, to turn. So repentance is something that is, like John the Baptist says, for followers of Yahweh, who are simply not doing his will, and they need to repent, they need to change. You're, try you're claiming that you're following Yahweh, but you need to do better. But it's also for people who don't know Yahweh, who need to come to obey him to begin with, who need to stop worshiping whatever false gods they have in their life, whether those are literal pagan deities or other things that they've devoted their lives to that are not the Lord. But again, that's that's very similar to the Hebrew idea. And since you went ahead and brought up repentance, I figured that's a good time to go ahead and get that out of the way. Now, on the subject of repentance, either word, do we have anything to add here? I really just wanted to say, I'm glad that you brought up that it's not just for new believers. It's for people who are believers already. Uh, it's a consistent process. You don't do it once and call it good. Most of the time, you are going to lean back towards the world. You're going to end up finding out that you're on the wrong path again. And you'll have to correct yourself. And Jesus actually gives you some advice in uh, Matthew chapter 5. He says, if your uh, hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right? And he, he doesn't mean that you should go around cutting your hand off. Uh, of course, what he means is, you know, take the things in your life that tend to cause you to go back towards that and cut them out. If you have, um, if you have a problem, you get unreasonably angry playing games, quit playing games, right? Um, if you have an issue and you can't, uh, you can't see a woman without look objectifying her and, you know, uh, lusting over her, then you, you have to cut that out of your life, whatever is causing you to do that. And so, uh, that's that was kind of just the thing that I wanted to add in. It's a continual process. None of us are perfect at it, and that's why even your preachers, even your leaders in your church will continue to have to uh, repent from what they've done. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a good practice to work into your prayer life to ask your prayer life and, and your time in Scripture, what do I need to repent of? just to ask that question over and over, whether you're just praying and you say, God, show me what I need to repent of in my life. Where am I holding on to bitterness? You know, what things am I trying to take control of that I'm not handing over to you? What ways have I mistreated my brothers and sisters in Christ? What ways am I not representing you well in the community? Just show me where I need to repent. That's a good prayer to pray. And it's good meditation to bring into scripture. I have a small group that I get together with, uh, currently on hiatus. We're coming back this upcoming month, but, uh, one of the questions that we ask when we're reading a, a chunk of scripture is what in this passage do I feel convicted about? Or the way that we often phrase it is what is the Holy Spirit convicting me of when I read this passage? Because we believe the Holy Spirit works and acts in our lives 
continually, that that's not something that just stopped in the first century. It still happens. So when I'm reading this passage, what is the Holy Spirit pointing out to me that I need to change? And every single week, there's things that come up. Every single, we never have a passage. Someone's like, no, I'm perfect. I'm all good. Because what is, what, what's the verse that the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword? Like, believe it. So use that meditation. So whether you're reading scripture, praying, whatever, that's a good question to be asking. What do I need to repent of? What, what am I convicted over? What needs to change? Hey, all this episode went really long this week. So I'm going to break it up into two separate parts. So if you want part two, it's going to drop on the same day. So you can go ahead and continue on to that. Or if you want to break it up a little bit more, then wait and listen to it later in the week. Thanks for joining us. If you have any concerns or questions, then uh, contact us at realpockettheology at gmail.com and we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can. <music>